Hello everyone, it's G3. And in recent episodes, I've spoken to Jordi Visser, President and CIO of Weiss, about the importance of understanding blockchain and Web3 for investors. And of course, no discussion about the importance of these innovations would be complete without an examination of digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, which of course Jordi has spoken about in the past. But it's one thing to talk about crypto and quite another thing to be ready, both mentally and emotionally, to take action. So for those people out there who are either still on the fence or who are interested in gaining exposure to crypto but haven't pressed the button yet, this Green Marbles episode is for you. And if you could, please make sure to check important disclosures at the end of the podcast. And with that, welcome. Okay, take it easy on me today because my sleep score only was a 70 yesterday. Okay. All right, Jordy. So in prior podcasts, we established your view that Web 3.0 is accelerating and should inform portfolio management decisions moving forward. And I want to ask you to kick things off here, given that we've put out a number of episodes on topics related to that. What are the most frequently asked questions you get when you talk to people about your views there? First of all, I just want to say I've never had this much fun in any market prognostication or any kind of learning part. So right off the bat, I enjoy these conversations more than I can possibly describe. In terms of the question, the first one is always the same. Is it too late? Um, I guess people don't want to look stupid jumping into something that has already gone this far and picking the top. Is it a bubble? So everyone hears their kids talking about it and their kids couldn't possibly find the best investment ideas in the world. So the fact that their kids know more immediately makes them think it's a bubble. Next one, I've heard more in the last couple weeks as people push back on the paper I wrote, which is that the ETF for the blockchain, uh, DAPP, DAP, is down about 60% since November. It's also down 60% year over year. Uh, So I think whenever people look at the ecosystem and and they see it, it makes them think, well, if this is down 60%, then there must be a problem with crypto. Uh, And then the final one is when they finally do get to the point where I think they're on board to some degree, they go, okay, fine. How do I play it then? Those would be the questions. And on that last question, because I feel like many people who started out as skeptics have been you know, able to come around the more they dig, the more they try to look underneath some of the hype that is, of course, a part of this whole thing, too. But once they catch the fever, what do you say to those people who are, in fact, intimidated by the challenges associated with getting started in this space? Because, it, you know, the UX and the UI is not great. And a lot of the platforms, even the legitimate ones, leave a lot to be desired from the user experience perspective. Well, to make it simple, you're not alone. Five months ago, I would not have had nearly the enthusiasm or anywhere close to the enthusiasm I do now for the space. But back then, I knew it was going to grow, but I didn't have a curve in mind as to where we were in the cycle, and that has grown over the last four months. And the reason is, and this is why I did the paper using juggling as an analogy for people, the phrase I, I keep saying is, learn or be lost. So if you 
have not spent the time on it yet, I, I really think you're lost. And to be fair to everyone, if you spend one weekend, one weekend, and commit seven hours each of those two days and go through 14 hours of reading on simple things on the blockchain, you reach out to me, I will give you the book or the path to the trail that'll get you at least to the point where you know a lot. And after one weekend, I do believe that you will know more than 95% of the people on the planet. And that's a great opportunity for people to spend the time on it. So I do believe there's a, a, a place here where people have to focus on the word learn as opposed to making a judgment when they really don't know anything about it. And one thing I would say, too, is that the language and some of the concepts are difficult to grasp. And some people just sort of throw up their hands and say, forget it. It's important to just plow through, right? It's very important to plow through. And that's why um, the way, you know, when I talk about rabbit hole learning, Part of the thing about rabbit hole learning is the willingness to go backwards. So I will listen to a podcast and maybe I don't understand all of it. But then after a week of consuming more knowledge and going up the curve, I go back to that one to make sure that the stuff that I was hearing from an expert makes sense. And I may go back to the same podcast five times. I've gone back to the Bettina Warburg TED Talk, I, I, I think double digits. And I still believe from a simplistic manner. If you just type her name in and go to every YouTube presentation she has done over the last seven years, uh, I guess five years because it was really 2016, she makes it very simple on why the blockchain is so powerful. And I think it's a great place to start. Well, speaking about going back, one of the things that you said on a previous episode was you can't take a Web 2 playbook when thinking about Web 3. I think this is the fundamental point that I would like you to repeat now because it really does speak to the the mindset you need to have as you go down this pathway of learning. Yeah, and, and as I've gone through this, I've tried to think about how investors are thinking about investing in the blockchain. And everyone was trained to some degree, even through Web 2.0, with something that Warren Buffett said, which is... To be a successful and long-lasting business, you need to have a moat around your business, which basically means you've been able to get to a level either through size or through some kind of competitive edge, which prevents companies from either catching up or truly disrupting your business. And that is the point of where everyone's trying to figure out in this where the moat is within inside uh, the blockchain. And I think it's very, very difficult. And one of the primary reasons relative to web 2.0 is that part of the thing for competition just has to do with the soil of the blockchain, which is really the infrastructure. We have the infrastructure in place, the internet allowed for web 3.0. By definition, you had to have web 1.0 and web 2.0 to get to web 3.0. Web 3.0 involves the entire world. And the way I've been thinking about it is if you ask someone who the greatest American football player is, maybe they'll say Tom Brady, maybe they'll say Patrick Mahomes, but the one constant that has been there forever is the person was born in the United States. If I ask who the best global football player is for soccer, if you go look at the list of the FIFA um, soccer player of the year, football player of the year from 1991 to 2015, you end up getting names from eight different countries, ranging from Liberia to Brazil to Argentina to the Netherlands to Germany to Portugal. Um, there's no constant amongst them. 
this blockchain movement to have a moat, I think it's going to be very difficult because you have so much competition now coming that the soil is just rich that the lifespan of these companies I don't think will be long enough for you to pick a winner. So in terms of tech moats, let's talk about some of the others that the Web2 companies do have and and whether or not you think that they will be able to preserve themselves. I mean, cloud um, was a huge disruption. And as a result of cloud, we have AWS. That's a nice moat. Machine learning was a big disruption. We have NVIDIA and a number of other companies that have built moats there. Mobility, a huge disruption. It helped build Apple and other companies. Why do you think this wave of disruption is any bigger than some of those previous waves? Again, I I think whether you describe it as the crypto world, whether you describe describe it as the blockchain world, I, I really don't care. I think you have to think of this in a different type of way. And the analogy I'm going to give you is when America was born. When people traveled across the oceans to come here for freedom, for opportunity, I see the same thing happening in the crypto world, the blockchain world. It's an economy. It's not a company. It's an ecosystem with its own currency. Um, it, it really, truly takes the global framework and makes it a community for people that they want to go to. And that's a very powerful thing. And I think it's very hard for people to understand. It also normalizes things like age and wealth. My son is heavily involved in this space. And I would say he knows more about uh, which coins are out there than 99% of the people on the planet. Definitely more than 99% of the people at my age or above yours too, G3. <laughs> my son just goes on, he creates a wallet and he tells me about it about two days later and then he's got a bunch of coins in there. It's just the access to this and the ability for people to be excited by it is just growing and I think you have to think of this less as the cloud or mobility or any of these things. This is really a place of destiny for a lot of people. So even though Apple has a ton of money, Meta has a ton of money, Walmart has a ton of money and resources and reach, you don't think that they can ultimately be successful in co-opting Web3 and dominating it in the future? No. I think they're going to have a hard time at the size they are with the lack of new innovation that's come on board relative to what's going on in the blockchain. I just can't describe how much the, the centralized ownership of companies is creating an opportunity for the decentralized thinkers to go out there. And it's just a very powerful force. So I don't think those established companies have a chance of taking over blockchain type stuff. I think they're going to keep losing to smaller places. I'm going to tease out that at some point we should do an episode on DAOs. You agree? Uh, yes. I, th I think we have to. Again, I, I, I think you and I may differ on this point, uh, or maybe we're in the same. We haven't really spent a lot of time on it. But I've put DAOs a little bit further down the line as I, I don't think this is the year of DAOs. I really think, again, this is the year of NFTs with DAOs coming more into it and people learning what DAOs are. But I think their growth curve um, will take a little bit longer. But I do think you'll have a DAO with $100 million buying stuff and going through it. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. Okay. Well, and, and just for everybody's awareness, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's DAO, D-A-O. Not as in Dow Jones. Although there is a Dow named Dow Jones, by the way, which is kind of cool. Um, all right, let's get back to the core topic here. For those people who come to you and say, all right, I'm sold. 
I want in, I want exposure. Can you talk about, in your view, the best way people should proceed? So first of all, I'm going to keep saying it. I do not believe that there will be ETFs of blockchain companies or individual blockchain companies that people should invest in. I think you have a very low likelihood of picking those. So when people talk about the ETF that is down 60% off the highs, DAP, if you look in there at the companies, I think they're probably discounting that there's already competitors and that these businesses which were able to go public won't be here in two, three, four years, who knows, but they certainly won't be the winners that maybe people thought they would be. Um, China put out a study that basically said that over 90% of blockchain projects that came out uh, failed and that the average lifespan was about 1.22 years. And so if you get to a scenario that you think you can find one, you're not only uh, have a low probability of success based on the competition, like I mentioned earlier, you're also hoping that it'll be around long enough and hopefully get a moat, but the probability of that seems low and the lifespan seems uh, too low. Uh, I do think that that has been an issue for people going into it because they're looking for something, an ETF that represents this technology as they have in the past. How do you put that in the context of other risky ETFs that are out there that some people have become very exposed to? I mean, sure, Ethereum and Bitcoin have a lot of volatility, but I think there are some ETFs out there that are tethered to growth companies that are also pretty darn volatile. Isn't that the case? So this is a point that I want everyone to hear. There's two ways that your portfolio should be exposed to the blockchain. One is on the long side, and then one is on the short side. On the long side, obviously, ARC is something that has been all through the news. It's on CNBC on a weekly basis. And it was the place that was getting all this attention for innovation. If you look at the volatility of ARC versus volatility of Bitcoin, they're basically about the same. So somehow or another, people feel more comfortable with ARC than they do with Bitcoin. Last year, Bitcoin outperformed ARC by over 100%. I think it was 108%. So far in January through what is today as we're recording on, on Wednesday, uh, Bitcoin has outperformed ARC by over 9%. So you have a scenario that people are willing to invest in some kind of future innovation, but in Bitcoin, they're scared of it when it has a similar volatility and it's outperformed consistently for a long time. So everyone should be in Ethereum and Bitcoin. I believe it's the place, the ecosystem you want to invest in, and I'll keep saying it over and over again. At the same time, when you look at the short side, I do believe the blockchain is going to be disruptive. And I do believe it's going to hurt all service-based companies. Now, when people think about it, they go, well, not this year. That's not the way the market works. It's a discounting vehicle. So when you have a very high multiple service name or software name, you're assuming there won't be a disruptive technology. And this reminds me very, very closely of the period of 2001 to 2003 coming out of the internet bubble. Uh, we've seen a similar drop in the expensive names really since November. And if you go back and look at how those names performed coming out of the internet bubble, uh, it took a seven, eight-year process for them to be investable again. And I think we're going to see the same thing again. So you foresee Bitcoin and Ethereum dramatically outperforming the very high-growth, narrative-driven tech companies for a long time to come. Dramatically, and I've said it before, I think the best-performing assets this year, despite kind of a, a, a down start to the year, 
will be Ethereum and Bitcoin. I think they'll outperform stocks. They'll obviously outperform bonds. Uh, I think they'll outperform tech. And if I had to pick something that might outperform it this year, it'll be the energy names, which no one is long. But it's going to be another one of these years where people are really going to regret not having Bitcoin and Ethereum in their portfolio. Okay, last question. The one caveat that some people raise when they talk about putting their capital to work in Bitcoin and Ethereum is the potential for regulatory tumult. What is your view on the degree to which that is a risk? I cannot come up with a scenario in my mind because of the global nature of this that they can stop it. Can they over-regulate it, over-tax it, come in with ways that make it hard for people inside the U.S. to migrate that way with their capital and talent? Sure, the governments can always come up with things to make it more challenging, but I just don't think this has borders to it. I think you can go anywhere. You know, I guess if I had to come up with an analogy for this one, uh, it would be like declaring global prohibition. I don't think it's possible. I, I don't think you'd get every regulator to do the same thing. And I just see this as people are migrating to an economy and a world which does not have borders, which makes it very difficult. It's going to be in the metaverse, which means it's someplace you can just see on your your virtual reality goggles. I just don't see how they can stop it. I can just see how they can be an annoyance on it. And I think last year was part of that. So I, I do believe if you go through last year... The governments did cause, particularly China and the U.S., who seem to be the most um, driven towards um, preventing this from growing too fast. That's why I believe NFTs last year were so important and why I think DAOs are a little bit more challenging because there's going to come under more regulatory scrutiny. But I think NFTs are something which are more powerful to make sure that Ethereum and Bitcoin continue to grow fast and the DAO side will grow faster outside of the U.S. Well. I'll drink to that, and I will also drink to the fact that there is no real chance of a global prohibition, so I'm on board with that as well. Yes, they couldn't even get it done in the U.S. So. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks so much, Jordy. Thanks, G3. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. The information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investments. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.